From beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics. Facebook occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Mike Miller from DePaul University, Peter Hanna from Chicago Kent College of Law, and also some special guests along the way. Nice to have you with us. Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. We're coming to you from our studios, AM 560 WYND Radio in beautiful Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Nice to have you with us. I hope you had a wonderful uh, Merry Christmas, and uh, perhaps uh, you are still celebrating it. You've got some leftovers on the table that uh, you are devouring as you uh, listen or watch Beyond the Beltway this evening. Nice to have you with us. Uh, we're going to divide uh, the show into a variety of different areas, and we're going to start with an old friend who uh, uh, spent many, many years around the table with us here uh, in Chicago from DePaul University, an economist, uh, Mike Miller who has now moved to the great state of Washington. And Mike Miller, uh, Merry Christmas to you. Nice to have you with us this evening. And uh, it's great to be with you always. I always enjoy being on and talking to the uh, talking to your listeners. Very good. My question to you is, as, as you look back on the past year, 2021, uh, take us through the year. Uh, what were the high points, low points, uh, that that you observe as a, as an economist. Oh, as an economist, uh, here's here's what's so interesting about this year. We have been making great progress. The economy mm-hmm. is doing much better, with one uh, two major exceptions. So mm-hmm. we got into the summer, and the forecasts for the second part of the uh, calendar year were for uh, economic growth GDP, which was going to be almost record breaking. And then uh, we had the Delta variant, and all the forecasts went down. But in spite of that, gross domestic product did rise, and it is near its potential. Uh, Unemployment continued to fall. We even have had an uptick in the amount of participation by uh, people into the labor force. But two things have occurred that are very troublesome. The first one is a little bit more minor than the other, and the, the first one it's an issue is consumer confidence. It's in the tank. It is as low as it has been since uh, the Great Recession. And that's a problem, that people simply don't have faith that the economy is going to do well going forward. But we all know that the real problem how does that is inflation. Demo- how does that demonstrate and, itself, Mike? A lack of confidence, oh, it, how what does we that see is manifest it, itself? It tends to be uh, consistent with other economic indicators in that uh, it it would be if if you find that consumer confidence is low, there could be some problems that people are not going to spend as much as they were going to. Now, consumer spending is doing well, but people, I think, would like to be doing more. And this also means that they won't take as many risks as they would normally because they don't have as much confidence in the future. But the thing that's really hurting the households right now is inflation. And this is the worst inflation we have had uh, since the early 1980s. And this is on a year-over-year basis. So if you got a raise last January, and let's say that raise was nice and it, was, uh, it, it got you even with the, uh, uh, that, that your, your real income was constant, mm-hmm. you're down about 8% over this year. So it, it's really uh, – people are beginning to feel it. Uh, it is not something that's focused only upon uh, energy or, say, one or two areas. It is affecting all the areas of the economy. 
no what matter where you go that, to buy, you're finding what causes the prices that are to rising. happen. And what's that? What causes that to happen? When you talk now, about almost in all cases, yeah. you would expect that the the blame would would go to the uh, the Federal Reserve. But mm-hmm. we have three things coming together that seem to be adding to the problem. One is a supply chain problem that people keep talking about, and therefore, when things are not in great supply. Uh, Sellers are able to, in a sense, allow the price to rise because people will pay extra to get it. Mm -hmm. There's an increase in demand, partly because of a buildup after the um, after the pandemic. People have money. They want to spend it. And then on top of that, we have uh, the government, which is adding all of this additional spending. Earlier in the year, it was assistance to households. Now they have the build back better and so forth. And they're making all kinds of expenditures when the economy is near full employment. And I'll add one more piece to that. When the federal government spends all this extra money and it is financed by the Federal Reserve essentially printing money, this is inflationary. So we have three things coming together. We have cost rising, we have demand pulling the price up, and we have the money supply stoking this particular inflation and allowing it to occur. So a blame in some sense goes all around. It's not just one place. Now, you said that uh, we're near full employment, and yet I can't walk by any store that does not have a sign-up that says they're hiring. And, uh, you know, a couple of um, weeks ago, I uh, just jumped on to see if there was some part-time job that might interest me, and I signed up with with one online uh, job hunting service, and they told another one, and they told another one, and literally, I'll get 50 job offers a, a day, literally, uh, allegedly. Wow. Um, but uh, so I'm wondering what it, – it doesn't seem to me like we're at, we're at full employment when you go into some restaurants and retail operations. Yeah. Well, what we do is in, in some sense we have, I guess you would call it, a shortage of, of uh, workers who are willing mm-hmm. to work at the going wages and so forth. If you look at it as an unemployment rate, something we call U3, the, the number mm-hmm. that is re- has officially been the unemployment rate over the past couple of decades, it's at 4.2%. That is essentially full employment. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that would happen is that those jobs that you're talking about would be filled if more people would come in off the sidelines and uh, begin to re-enter the market. But you have a lot of people uh, who are retiring. So uh, baby boomers are simply retiring. And therefore, there is this mismatch between the number of people available to take jobs Mm -hmm. and the number of jobs available. It is the oddest thing. Mm -hmm. There's something called the JOLTS report, which has to do with job openings and losses and so forth and turnover. And we do have people quitting jobs because they have complete confidence they can find jobs. We have people... Uh, businesses who are just begging for people to work for them. And we have people deciding where they want to go and getting, uh, you know, they're going to ask for bigger salaries or bigger wages because Mm -hmm. they have the market power to be able to do that. It's an unusual labor uh, condition right now. How badly has this affected real estate? Uh, well, real estate, of course, there, there was a shortage of homes on the market. And then when you have interest rates at what essentially are historic lows? When you have mortgage, 30-year mortgage rates, fixed rates that are in the low threes, these are astounding rates, especially now with inflation at the rate that it is. You are essentially are borrowing money for free. You, you are, mm-hmm. You're not paying anything in terms of real interest rate. And, uh, but that does create a problem with real estate for um, commercial real estate. 
because uh, while people have begun to go out and and uh, travel and so forth, uh, go out to eat and but office buildings and so forth, there are still some who are waiting for some kind of a mm-hmm. shoe to drop when it comes to commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, and the adjustments are being made. Uh, but that is one other part of the economy that there is some worry. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mike Miller is uh, joining us. He is a professor of economics at DePaul University. Uh, although he now lives in the great state of Washington, he still uh, teaches his course at DePaul University. When we come back, we'll be welcoming another old friend of this program, Peter Hanna. We're going to be talking about some of the crime problems in America. He is a professor at Chicago Kent College of Law. I'm Bruce Dumont. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
Bruce Dumont back. We continue now, and uh, joining us is uh, Peter Hanna from Chicago Kent College of Law, who has been a frequent guest on this program. He joins us along with Mike Miller, and uh, happy holidays to you, uh, Peter. Uh, let me ask you this question: uh, What you you were born in uh, Egypt? Uh, you've been a long time mm-hmm. uh, U.S. citizen. Uh, what religion yeah. do you celebrate? Christmas. Um, okay. We're actually Coptic Orthodox, okay. uh, which is uh, Christian. So um, we celebrate Christmas, although the calendar is closer to the uh, like Eastern Orthodox churches. So although we you know, have always opened presents and stuff on the 25th, the church mass and, and uh, the sort of like associated religious um uh, services uh-huh. happen on January sixth slash seventh. So it's I can actually still January seventh, but I can still you know, wish you a, a Mer- I can still wish you a Merry Christmas then. Yeah, you can wish you a Merry Christmas. <laughs> okay, good. Even if I didn't celebrate Christmas, and it would be okay. <laughs> I just, you know, just but uh, Mike, as it happens, I do. So good, good. you know. Well, Mike Miller joins us, and uh, uh, one of the things we talked with Mike about was uh, the economy in uh, in the first fifteen minutes of the show. And one thing I'd like to talk with you about is is the issue of of, of crime throughout the year. Uh, there is uh, the rise in murders in many large areas of the United States. Uh, there is the smash and grab crime. Uh, there is the carjacking. Uh, there have been a couple of high visibility trials uh, this year. Um, as you look at uh, the totality of everything that's happened, has the has the criminal justice system come out okay? Do do they get a, a good grade for this year, or do they get a bad grade? And I'm talking about the criminal justice system, not necessarily policing. Yeah, you know, I I think the criminal justice system, uh, you know, perpetually gets an F. Uh, to be honest with you, I think it it is a system that is in need of significant reform. Um, you know, there's definitely statistics that show certain crime has increased. I could also point to statistics that show that certain crimes have decreased. I think media attention on, you know, this crime wave narrative, I mean, it's very, it sells, it's appealing, and it's it's really easy to kind of glom over. Um, but the truth of the matter is, you know, when I walk around Chicago um, from neighborhood to neighborhood, I notice that there are the neighborhoods i'm in like no one around me is walking around in need you know what i mean most people Mm -hmm. have all their needs met um and you know i wouldn't know you know frankly i wouldn't know what the crime situation was um you know my immediate you know surrounding area because you know all the people here generally have their needs met but i think you know you can't just put it all in the criminal justice system i think just the city as a whole is failing to satisfy you know a lot of needs um, and as a result, I think people are looking for a way to get by as they can. And, you know, that's making a lot of, you know, crimes well, increase need, but and the media loves to sort of magnify that and amplify it. Cause it's, it's obviously it's an appealing and compelling story. Peter, uh, insofar as needs are concerned, um, uh, is it really needy that someone needs a Gucci purse stolen from a Gucci store on Michigan Avenue? or any other high-level item, fashion item, that has been uh, smashed and grabbed from a shopping center, Mm. whether it's in Northern California, Chicago, or New York, or Atlanta. I mean, that's not need, is it? Isn't it greed? Or is it just a crime? I I can't speak for any... Go ahead, sorry. Or it's just a crime. 
It's criminal I mean, activity. Crime's a crime, and and I can't speak for the the nature of anyone's need, but obviously, you know, those things have value, and that value could be used, you know, to fulfill different needs. And and I think really the the question is, you know, if you have a home and you have healthcare and you're you know you have a job and you have a future, um, you know, you don't need to smash and grab anything. Right. Um, you don't need to to do that stuff. And again, I think when it seems like there is no future and there is no hope. And, you know, when I'm walking home, I don't even know if I'll have, you know, food on the table or, you know, way to get to work the next day. You know, a lot of these other things seem more appealing. Um, but again, it's a really, it's a, it's a messed up cycle because we have, you know, the criminal justice system, not doing the right thing with the people in front of it. You know, we have, you know, police who, you know, have their own set of problems. We have people whose needs aren't being met. And we have a media who obviously, you know, they amplify all these stories. You know, you, you asked Mike, like, what were some good things and bad things that, mm-hmm. that, that happened this year? You know, there's a lot of good, great things that happened this year, but people would be surprised to, to learn of it in, in this media environment. Well, a lot of people would say that uh, it, it, a lot of good things happened. They would argue that the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict was good. The Jesse Smollett verdict was good. Uh, the Auburn uh, Arbery uh, decision in Georgia, that was good. I mean, that that's a jury system looking at, at controversial issues. And uh, all independently, they all made a verdict. Uh, and I would say that most people in the country probably agreed with those verdicts, maybe with the exception of the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. But, I mean, that was the justice system uh, working its way. Or it's magic, as some people suggest. Mike Miller, I want you to. Yeah, I, want, I mean, I want, again, without speaking. Yeah, I want, I want yeah, Mike. Please. I want I want Mike to weigh yeah, in it, on, what, on what Peter had to say. Uh, and again, you're now you know a thousand miles away from Chicago, but uh, again, you're you're watching the network news, which is which is creating a a, a a very widespread impression about what life in Chicago is like, as well as other major cities. Yeah, it, it could even, we, you know, being an economist, I often look for what is the economic theory of, and that would be the economic theory of crime. And it has to do with what is the probability you will be caught. And if you are caught, what is the probability you will serve time and how much time and so forth. And the, the disturbing thing here, and it should be of no surprise, is that many jurisdictions have decided that minor crimes, as they call them, which are crimes of poverty or want, are not going to be prosecuted. Therefore, if you lower the probability that people will be uh, arrested and have to serve time for these kinds of crimes, there will be more of these crimes. And I'm convinced that this is the reason why we see uh, all this smash and grab going on. And, and uh, I, it, it's very it, it to me, it's it's not surprising. And I think there's going to be a backlash. This is no way for a society to live. I, I know that the idea of taking care of the turnstile jumpers, that was one way that they got New York under control. If you take care of the small crimes, people will realize you're going to take care of crimes and people are going to be incarcerated. And and I know it leads to this concern about mass incarceration. But when people are not, uh, you know, they're not partaking, partaking in a civil society, they are robbing and stealing and beating and so forth they have to spend some time away from society peter i want to get and, peter's and, resp- i want when, to get peter's response and when to the prosecutors say said. they're not going to do that there's going to be more crime peter your response to what mike just said 
Yeah, I mean, I respectfully disagree with that. Um, I, I grew up in New York uh, in the 80s and, and 90s, and, uh, you know, I saw sort of the transformation of, uh, of the city and the cost that it came with. And the cost that it came with was pretty substantial. You know, we can't just like slide over, yeah, cause over incarceration. I mean, we have a incarceration epidemic and crisis in America. We incarcerate more people per capita. I mean, it's you, most of your listeners and most of the people on this call know the statistics. I mean, it's, it's absurd. We have tons of private prisons. I mean, it's, it's did absurd. Crime so go down, the idea though? of, oh, did someone crime, stole did, a Snickers bar, crime, stole a bag. Did well, let's put them in jail down. for like a no, year. I, did I just say, so I'll just finish. I'll just finish. You know, I'm not saying you are, Mike. I'm saying okay. that concept, right? This concept where uh, a low-level crime should be, you know, the person should be quote unquote put away. Number one, it has a cascading effect. When I, when I have to spend like 30 days or even five days in jail and I can't go to my job, my job isn't there. Right. So that's kind of a problem that I think you completely slide over. And then the second thing is there's another option. Like if you take that person and you say, why did you do this? And you engage with them and you understand, you basically sit, find out what the missing need is, what led you to do this. You can try to address the problem. And, and the reality is, you know, again, there's a sense of desperation and that sense is, is kind of creeping up, you know, the economic, uh, you know, food chain or whatever mm -hmm. um, of precariousness and people who have no hope. Um, well, Peter, so I think why throwing them you... in jail, just throwing them in jail instinctively, especially for quote unquote low level crimes, um, that is a failed policy that has been failed my entire lifetime. Peter, but why would you have not seen then this uptick in crime based upon need that you keep focusing upon during the Great Recession when unemployment was over 10 percent? Unemployment's at 4.2 percent. People who want a job can have a job. If people are hungry, there's places to go to get their food. They're not stealing food. They're stealing other things. They're and there are some people who just are criminals. I, I disagree. Uh, I, oh, I, don't, oh, I think that's a fundamental, you know, that's um, respect. You don't think Mike. that there's evil in the world that there are. No, I mean, of course, I'm not I'm evil? not saying okay. that it's a quick thing, but a quick job, quick ahead, jump Peter. of a large chasm. I'm simply saying that when you say there are just people who are criminals, I mean, you're speaking. Uh, this is this is, I mean, kind of, you know, insulting in, in no, a way, because not. you're basically saying that there are people who are just like not humans. They are. I didn't say that. Thus, well, don't put words I, in my mouth. I, I'm not, I did not putting say that. I, I didn't say you said that. I said you're implying this. But to your point about low-level crimes, I can <laughs> I can point to statistics for you. So, you know, um, San Francisco, robberies in 2021 are lower than 2020 and lower than 2019 and lower than 2018. The same is true for Los Angeles. These are robberies. For, these are police records. So, I mean, I could point to things and debunk a lot of this narrative if we get into the details, but but I will I, I will agree. Certain crimes are going up, but as on the whole, crime's actually gone down. It continues oh. to go down. But in the end, what it's about is what are why are people doing this? Like, why are they doing this? And do you want to put someone in jail for 30 days or even 15 days, although that's a lot more lenient than actual sentences are, for stealing like a Gucci bag? You know, it's, it's just kind of absurd. It's much better to engage that person, find out why they did that, and try to actually how do figure you do out it? how we can turn this activity into when, a positive when we come back, when we, when, we come back, when we come back, I want to follow up on that. How do you engage a young person who may be going out or has gone out and, and, and smashed and grabbed and either hijacked or either carjacked somebody uh, or stolen a Gucci purse? How do you get to them before they do it? I want to hear Peter's response when we continue. I'm Bruce Dumont.
One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Merry Christmas, everybody. Nice to have you with us on the day after Christmas. Hopefully, uh, all your packages uh, arrived in time and they all fit, or uh, you were busy today uh, heading out exchanging things or finding out what the hell did you do with that uh, gift certificate somebody gave you, and was it was it only $25? They can afford more than that. Whatever. Uh, Merry Christmas, wherever you are. Uh, we're uh, celebrating uh, this evening with uh, some uh, guests that have been on this program uh, uh, periodically throughout the year. Mike Miller is with us. He's the economist from DePaul University. Peter Hanna, he's a professor of law at Chicago Kent College of Law. And also joining us now is uh, Brent Hammercheck. Uh, he's with uh, Human Events. Uh, Brent, nice to have you with us uh, on our broadcast as well this evening. Merry Christmas to you. 
Uh, it's it's always a pleasure to be here. I consider you the senior statesman of American television, radio, all those oh things. So Merry Christmas God. to you. Bruce. I guess that's my Christmas present. I want I want to go back to Peter uh, and and give him an opportunity to explain um, how you go about teaching people uh, that it's not right to steal. And I, I've simplified that as best I can. If you think that's an unfair question, Peter, uh, tell me. But again, I think everybody listening to the program would like to be able to say, yes, that's a program we can get behind. So take a crack at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's a little bit of an unfair uh, framing, um, Bruce, but I, I think what we really need to do is you know, no one, very few people who steal or commit a crime like that um, are under some sort of, you know, misconception that what they're doing is, you know, morally okay or societally okay, um, you know, unless, you know, they've gotten there by some weird uh, pathway in their life. But I think what your your real question is, is, you know, how do we, if, if incarceration isn't the solution, what is the solution? And I think, you know, some of the solutions that have worked, and there's a ton, ton of data to show that this, this sort of thing works, is, you know, diversion programs, like diverting people from, you know, being immediately put into the, you know, the criminal legal system pipeline and um, deflecting whatever their actions are, whatever their thinking is in a different direction. When you look at these programs across the country, they're really, really successful. They're, you know, usually pretty inexpensive, usually much less expensive than the process of, um, you know, what are, bringing someone to what are prison, some of these et cetera, programs? Et what are some of these programs? I mean, by the way, I, I agree with you. And by the way, you know, because uh, this has been one of my pet topics uh, for the last five, six years on this program. I do not believe in mass incarn- uh, in, 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 in incarnation. It, it just uh, uh, <laughs> imprisonment. That's what I meant to say. I don't believe in that. But I also believe mm-hmm. that it's somewhere on the other end. You said that, you know, you want to you, you want to be able to have uh, someone. I don't know whether it was government trying to suggest to people that it was wrong to steal. And, and I'm just saying is there is there are mechanisms in place for that. It's called parenting. It's called your local <laughs> parish or your pastor. It's called schools. It's 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 societal uh, institutions that should be teaching you right from wrong, which is basically don't steal. It's, yeah. a, it's a commandment for those that are, are, are believers. It's one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. And uh, yet, um, collectively, we have not gotten that message down to rampaging numbers of young teenagers who feel that it's okay to steal and smash and grab, whether it's a car or it's a Gucci purse. Yeah, again, I mean, I, I really have to disagree with you there. I think everyone knows stealing is wrong. Um, but, you know, you said parents or their parishes or their schools, but not everyone has parents who are teaching them important lessons right. and parishes to go to or schools or institutions they could trust. And part of the reason that's the case is, you know, a lot of our communities are very underfunded, overpoliced, and underfunded. So I think I actually agree with you, Bruce. I think you invest more in communities, you get less of this. But when you turn communities into sort of abandoned, you know, like no-go zones, you do get this sort of stuff. Eventually, something, you know, bubbles out, bubbles up, 
you know, over the cauldron. And that's what we're getting. You, you have to actually invest in places to get the results that you want. And I mean, that's really where I think we're at. Okay. Well, uh, again, we can discuss uh, how that's done, but I want to bring uh, Brent into the conversation. Brent, uh, let, let's pick up on this matter. I mean, obviously, uh, you have a perceived crime wave. And again, uh, we did a program last week here, uh, which sort of separated, you know, murder and, and major crime from smash and grab and, and even, uh, you know, some of the, the, the carjacking that goes on. Uh, there There is a perception that crime is rampant in America. Now, I don't know whether whether that's just the media jumping on a narrative, which I think is possible because they tend to do that. Uh, but again, there's there's a perception, at least in many areas, and I think uh, this is where maybe Peter and I would disagree. I mean, he doesn't necessarily sense that, you know, in the neighborhood where he lives. But, you know, Peter lives just not too far from where I live. And it certainly is a perception in my neighborhood that, you know, taking a stroll down Michigan Avenue is is not something that uh, you can do without it with a complete sense of security anymore. So where does society go uh, without pointing fingers, uh, 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 Brent? Where can society go to try to deal with some of these issues in a serious manner? And is there a role of government to play? Well, Right, in, in 30 seconds or less, right? No, you but it's sort of interesting that, uh, <laughs> interesting that uh, Los Angeles was mentioned earlier. I and mean, look, the chief of police in Los Angeles last week uh, or a few weeks ago uh, told people not to come to Los Angeles because he can't guarantee their safety. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, I think here's what we're starting to look at. Here's what we're starting to see. So it was well over 100 plus years ago that the old philosopher Nietzsche had the great line where he said, God is dead. And what he meant by that was that modern society, modern society, mind you, in the 19th century, had killed him, that they no longer needed him. And he uh, worried about what that might mean for people going forward. We live today in a society where we, in modern America, we've sort of killed God, uh, not a big presence in American life. And we don't have people walking around with any sense of true objective, right or wrong. Most people don't even know what an ethical system is. Uh, Peter mentioned, you know, people know that when they're stealing, you know, they're doing something wrong. Well, it's not really the question, is it? The question is, do they care? And less and less what we're finding in today's America that people simply don't care. And here's an interesting point to contemplate. And that is, did they ever really care? Because the question is also, what is our nature? And I would argue that what we're having collide in America today is that man's nature, which isn't fundamentally good, is being allowed to be expressed by a legal system, a social set of structures that are letting the beast loose. So what we have running around in the streets of Chicago, they aren't wild men. They aren't animals. They aren't anything special. They're just a bunch of moral relativists who are being allowed to get away with whatever they want. One final point with regard to investment. Of course, investment's a neat sounding word that folks like to use that really means spending a bunch of tax dollars. We've spent extraordinary amounts of tax dollars since the 1960s in exactly the kinds of neighborhoods and exactly the kinds of programs that we're talking about here. It doesn't work. Spending money to cure a social ill 
has never worked in all of human history, and it's not going to work here. Okay, uh, we Brent, need to find our way back to a sense of morality take a, if we can make it there. Take a breath, if you will. Peter, we're going to go to you for a couple of minutes, and then I want to go back to Mike. Peter, you're up. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I'm sort of it's kind of surprised and taking it back. I think, uh, you know, Brent's view is a is you know, I think pretty divorced from mine, and and I would also say a mm-hmm. lot of what the just you know reality on the ground is as someone who has, you know, walked the streets of Chicago and interacted with and represented in my career, many people who have come from communities, you know, that are underserved. I've seen them. I've spent time there. I mean, I urge anyone who doubts it to go see for themselves um, because there is a huge gulf. There's just a huge gulf there. uh, You know, this is not um, the social. I mean, just hearing you, Brent, talk about like the system allowing people to become moral relativists and whatnot. I mean, it's just kind of um, like an over-engineered thought process to get there. It's much more simple. You know, we have not done a good job of living up to the values that I think we all say we live up to. We haven't really given people equality. We haven't given them truly equal opportunities. You know, the criminal legal system is incredibly punitive. Once you get in, I mean, once you're in, once you have a felony on your record, you know, there's so many cascading effects. Once you miss work because you have to spend a night or a few days in jail, yep. you know, that changes things. And this happens all the time for people, you know, less fortunate than, I than totally we are. Agree I totally I'm not, agree I'm with that. I totally agree with that. Just to wrap up, I, I, I'm not saying stuff, that yeah. there are no criminals in the world or there aren't people who would, you know, exploit a system. You know, there are certainly uh, criminals at the top end of the economic spectrum who walk away from, you know, everything just, you know, un, untouched. And, you know, when it comes to spending, you know, it's so funny. We hear, you know, $800 billion going to the federal government's military. And just today I saw a video of something they're doing in South Dakota where they're having teachers chase dollars that are being blown around on the ground, just dollar bills to try to stuff them in a sack so they could buy supplies for their students. You know, $9 trillion injected into the economy by the Fed. I'm sure, you know, uh, uh, obviously, Mike, you could talk about that. But when it comes to actually like spending uh, some money to like build a park or improve a school in a community, we balk at that. That's yeah, but those, that's okay. But wait those, a minute. Wait a minute. But those things it's just happen. kind of silly. They're, 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 we have to break, guys. When Brent guys, was, when guys, Brent was guys, speaking, guys, guys, we have to break. We've got a break. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us today. No phone calls tonight. We are recorded because it is a holiday. But we will hear from the late, but not the late, <laughs> the great Mike Miller when we come back. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, 
Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Chris Dumont back. Uh, one other issue that we've not talked about is more and more people are willing to uh, uh, to buy stolen goods uh, online. These mm-hmm. these smash and grabbers. I mean, uh, they're offering that stuff for sale. People are buying it. And uh, uh, as a, a person who I spoke with earlier this week referenced that uh, to a lot of people uh, having a, a Gucci purse, whether it's a real one or a fake one gives them a sense of credibility and accomplishment. And it brings them so much joy, they don't think about the fact that it is stolen property. And again, uh, everybody's looking for a bargain, but again, if we get into uh, a discussion of, uh, of stolen property and how people are looking for something for nothing, uh, we could talk to the cows come home and not get a, a resolution on that. Okay, back to Mike Miller. Uh, you've been standing by, and let me mention before uh, sure. we let you talk, I want to mention that uh, in our second hour this evening, uh, we have Judy Sherwin and Rush Darwish. Uh, they will be at each other's heads. <laughs> Uh, when we continue in the next hour of this program. And also, uh, we will hear from the the dynamic duel from uh, Spokane, Washington. Uh, We're going to be hearing from David Kilmer and Joy Wagner. Uh, These are the regular callers to be on the Beltway. They they don't really know each other, but they've been on opposite sides of the political spectrum. And we're going to have them as a a debate, uh, and that'll be our last half hour of the of the show uh, next week 
on Beyond the Beltway. So don't go away. Go ahead. Uh, actually, in the second hour tonight. Go ahead. You're on the air. Mike Miller. Well, here's here's. I wish the world were what Peter has described. But the amount of money that the federal government has spent on social programs since the 1960s is it's just enormous. The spending on education in real terms adjusted for inflation is has greatly risen over time. Uh, the one thing I, I, when Brent was talking, I was saying here, here, I, I, I couldn't agree more with him. The one thing that Brent did not explicitly say, though, I think it was buried in his his comments, was that so much of this goes back to the breakdown of the nuclear family, which I think is where these particular morals are. You know, I grew up, I, I don't want to say I was necessarily poor, but I didn't have much. And I would never think of stealing. It just was something that we were taught. You simply don't do it. You just right. eat less quality food and you wear nasty or, you know, old clothes and so forth. Yeah. Uh, but with the breakdown of the, and it's happening, of course, in the black community, it's 75 to 80% of all children grow up in a single parent household. But we also see a rise in Hispanic households as well as white households. And we're seeing that, that with this particular breakdown, so many social pathologies show up and people don't have, they're not taught as much right from wrong and so forth. And and uh, so I, I wish let's, the world was right, exactly the way let, Peter described. Let's let Peter respond. Let's let Peter respond to what you just said. Peter, your response. Yeah, um, I mean, very, very briefly, you know, I think um, the government has spent a ton in, on social programs. That's definitely true. Uh, that number is dwarfed by several orders of magnitude in what we spent on the military. And what, no, that's what, not correct. No, that's that is that's simply it is, demonstrably it is, false. It is. No, it the is, federal it government is, spends not, far, just three me, or four trillion dollars. I'm not a talking year about all the social let's, programs let's get, let's, oh, okay. in the world. Well, that's an easy way to do it. Okay. Things like Social Security, which is a you know universally beloved program, and Medicare and Medicaid. If you exclude those fundamental programs that oh. everyone loves. Yes, yes, and and we can debate that, but let's let's just move on, okay? For for the sake of this point, um, the government spending on you know these programs, obviously, even if you assume, as Mike says, that it's been so much, it's being misspent. It's not being spent in the way it should be spent. Because I can tell you that if you actually put money in communities, actually build schools, when was the last time uh, a new school? You know, it was built with public money or upgraded They're public being money. Built and, all know, over Illinois, Peter. Where have you been? They've no, built no, I'm not hundreds saying all over, of I'm schools. Not, and not you can't just say all over Illinois. Illinois. I'm saying in, in some of these communities where, I mean, you know, Mike thinks, uh, obviously, there, there aren't enough, you know, New schools and libraries are you know built I mean? all it's, over their areas. Well, that's sort of like you can't change how people live and how they actually organize whatever families they want. You know, they're, they're obviously to father households, to mother households. Okay. Now there are all sorts of households and you can't say, no, no, no. It's gotta be exactly this no. way. Like the world has moved on. And I mean, don't you need, but Peter, Peter, don't you need one thing. Peter, let me ask this I'm to trying Peter. to tell you Peter, that Peter, the world is changing. Peter, way, we know the world that. is changing. I know like, that. So I know rather that. than try to actually say like, Hey, if but, everyone goes back exactly to this way, Things will be rad. I don't. It just doesn't work. They're not. I'm just telling you, it's not, not feasible. They're, but if you have, but, but but just a minute, if you have a two-parent household 
And I don't care whether they're a mother and a traditional mother and father, they're two mothers, they're two fathers, whatever it is. You need an adult figure in raising a family that gives you the sense of what's right and what's wrong. In other words, you don't steal from other people. You don't covet what another person has. You basically go through the, you know, you can call it the Ten Commandments, call it whatever you want. But again, you need two adults saying that. I'm I'm not arguing that there's anything wrong. I went to Catholic school. Good for you. I I went to Catholic school. I'm very lucky to have... You know, great parents, uh, you great. know, uh, who I'll see in hopefully a few days. But I knew, you know, from them and and also just in general that, you know, stealing is bad. It's wrong. Good. And, and I mean, you don't need to have been raised, you know, a certain way to, to, to know that. Peter, you're making the assumption as well that there is a direct uh, a relationship between spending, for example, on education and outcomes. That if you spend more money, you no, will get I'm better not. outcomes. I'm not. You did, of course. You said we need to build better buildings. There's no, no, no I'm, evidence whatsoever. That's not at all what I said. Uh, you said to build. Look, uh, I said no, we should be investing in communities. Investing in communities. You said in education, build house, build schools. There's no right. evidence that more spending on schools leads to better outcomes. People, it's what happens again, in the classroom. What people have it, to do, let me just make, let me make a point. Let me buildings. make a point here. What has to happen is parents, again, regardless of how you define parents, they have to invest in their children and give them more time. On that note, we are out of time. Brent, Peter, Mike, thank you very much for being with us. Frankie Rodriguez, thank you very much. Merry Christmas. We've got another hour coming up. Don't go away. Judy and Rush Darwish coming up. And the Spokane duo dueling on Beyond the Beltway. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy. Your football buddy. Or you, your best man. Your worst man. You, your dog walker. Your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life. 
but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. From beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of Roman window, all of our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Republican Judith Sherwin, Democrat Rush Darwish, and our dueling callers from Spokane, Washington, David Kilmer and Joy Wagner. Our program tonight continues uh, this evening. Nice to have you with us on this uh, post-Christmas broadcast for 2021. And uh, Judith Sherwood, I want to begin with you because uh, in this segment with you and, and, and Rush, I want to talk about sort of some of the big stories that, that happened this year. What in your view, give me the short version, uh, either one or two things that you thought you know, historically, we're going to be talking about this 50 years from now. What is it? Well, I don't know if we're going to be talking about it 50 years from now, but I think that America, um, certainly in the last quarter of this year, has been saved by juries, by common citizens, you know, <clears throat> the regular people who get picked for juries, um, who understood what they were supposed to do in those situations. I mean, it mm -hmm. takes lawyers three years to learn how to sort through facts mm -hmm. and apply the law. Jurors get to learn how to do it in two weeks, and they mm -hmm. get their, their instructor is the judge. Mm -hmm. And they have to get through, I mean, I'm a lawyer. I spend my life in a courtroom sort of spinning things so that I will get yeah. the jury to go my way. Yeah. And and juries are very smart. <coughs> they really are. And and we do well to put our faith in them. And I really believe that uh, 12 people tried and true in several cases uh, very much saved America. Okay. Rush Darwish, what, what is your answer to the same question? Of, of all the myriad of topics that you and I have discussed on this broadcast and we read about in the newspapers every day. What's, what's the one issue that stands out in your mind from 2021? COVID-19. COVID-19 okay. uh, continues to haunt us. It continues to evolve. And we will be talking about COVID-19 
um, in 2022 and many, many years to come. Mm -hmm. uh, every time we take one step forward, sadly, we are learning that we also take two steps backward. I was actually just in the hospital uh, yesterday and I walked into an emergency room to visit a close relative and all I saw were beds of people that were outside of the rooms because they were so overloaded and mm -hmm. most of the people coming in uh, were diagnosed with COVID-19. So this is not going anywhere. Um, this is a race between technology and of course people just deciding to wake up and get vaccinated but we're going to be talking about COVID-19 for a long time to come. And I hope 50 years from now, Bruce, that I am still alive and well. Yeah. And I can tell my grandkids about how dangerous it was sure. and how when it first started now two years ago, um, it changed the world as we know it. When you were in the hospital yesterday, were you there because you had a problem or were you visiting someone? Yeah, I went. Uh, a close relative is in the <clears throat> hospital not doing well. Mm -hmm. And I walked into the emergency room. And I saw about 17 people mm -hmm. outside uh, of the room. They're literally um, just in the hallway. The beds were literally mm -hmm. uh, in the hallway with people just laying there. It's heartbreaking. It's devastating. And I asked one of the, the nurse, what's going on? How could this happen? This is inhumane. And she said, there's nothing we can do about it. There's a huge surge in COVID-19, and we don't know what to do with the people. We have to move people out because some people have mild cases, I saw some people getting wheeled in. Now, I'm not saying every single person who was getting wheeled right. in into an emergency room had COVID-19, but the majority of the people that were there were diagnosed and needed medical treatment. Judith Sherwin, we should mention that you and I spoke before your appearance uh, this evening on the program, and uh, you, you had some concerns as to whether or not you could make it here this evening because of your conversation with your doctor, if you don't mind sharing. No, that's, a that's of that. fine. I mean, I, I have a very close friend who is a COVID doctor. He's a pulmonologist. And so he's been dealing with this up and down since, since January of 2020. And so whenever I hear anything, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation on both sides mm -hmm. of the equation that get out. So whenever I hear anything, I call him up and I say, so, What's going on with COVID? All right. He told me pretty much the same thing that, that Rush just said. Um, in some of the hospitals, they have mm. people out in the hallways. Now, to be fair, um, <clears throat> when they have a bad flu season, mm -hmm. they get that kind of problem also. But they had reached a point with COVID where this was not going on. All right. So as far as he's concerned, he said that this we are now seeing the result of Thanksgiving, that there were a lot of family parties, mm -hmm. that, that people were going places, they're going to the movies. I mean, I went to the movies a couple of weeks ago, and so everybody comes in with a mask, they sit down, you know, and then they start eating. They're eating popcorn, oh. they take the mask off, they never put it back on right, again, right. as far as I could tell. Uh, there was one lady <clears throat> sitting about three seats away from her. She started blowing her nose. The person that I was with, I thought she was going to have a stroke. She says, <laughs> we got to move. We got to move. So we must have moved three times during the movies. But, but you know, I, I think things had calmed down a little bit. It's like mm -hmm. what Bruce said. We take a step forward, and, and then we start taking some steps back. Right. So it's still a pretty scary thing. And his advice to me was 
don't go anywhere. You know, I said, well, I mm-hmm. can't not just go anywhere. I mean, got to yeah. do some things in a sensible way, but this is where we are. Uh, Rush, back to you. Um, so, with, with all yeah. of the cautions, with all of the messages that have come from government, not only this year, but going back last year to the very beginning, when, uh, who do you believe when a message comes to you, um, do you automatically believe it, dismiss it, uh, and especially if it's coming for government from government, because some of their dictates and and, and messages over the last twenty four months uh, have been uh, conflicting. Well, first let me just say this, Judy and myself, <clears throat> when we were on the show four or five weeks back, mm-hmm. it's fair to say we don't agree on everything. But I'm telling you, here's here's one thing we all need to do is that if you're really having a hard time uh, believing what government officials have to say, if you have a hard time listening to what we call those national level doctors, Mm -hmm. talk to your local doctor, talk to your local physician. I just spoke to my doctor today because here, I'll shoot straight with you. My wife, now you you guys, you're going to get a kick out of this in a bad way, of course. So at my wife's work, she had a meeting with four people. This was literally on Thursday. All of them were vaccinated. And yes, they said at some point they took their masks off during the meeting. It's, it's normal. Come on, let's be honest. Sometimes right. you're talking, right. people get uncomfortable. Right, but here's what's off. crazy. They're all vaccinated. Three of the four people who are vaccinated <clears throat> got COVID again. Three of the four. Mm-hmm. We just literally, kid you not, Bruce, we literally just got back from a clinic about an hour ago. Mm-hmm. And we just got the results back. And my wife, just out of pure luck, um, ended up testing negative. So that just gives you an idea of how dangerous COVID-19 is. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show how dangerous yeah, these variants are. Mm-hmm. And and if we are not vaccinated, and everyone's saying this, and I, and I know that people have different opinions, but the key is to be vaccinated because at least the people who got COVID-19 the second time around, because they're vaccinated, they feel fine. They're okay. Okay, we've so, got to pause. You know, that's what we've got to think about. We've got to pause. I'm Bruce Dumont. Coming back from Beyond the Beltway. Don't go away. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces. 
just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway on uh, this, the day after Christmas. And uh, we're talking about COVID because it, it really has been uh, the defining issue of uh, the, the year. I know Judy mentioned that you know, trials and, and jury verdicts also are played an important role, and I do agree with that because I think it it basically buoyed the whole concept of the, of the jury system. Uh, you may not agree with all the, the jury verdicts that have come out, uh, but at least uh, I agree with at least three of them that have come out, and again, we will we'll know about what's happening in the uh, Minnesota case involving uh, the female officer, but, but that may happen uh, actually that may be happening next week, or uh, we may be trapped in in in, uh, in 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 tape situation. We, you may know the answer to that, and we don't. <laughs> and we don't <clears throat> as we tape the as we tape the show. My question to you, though, is uh, we're going back to who do, who do you believe? And let me ask you, Judy, the same question. You've been skeptical of of government policies for a while. I mean. When when Andy uh, Andy Fauci when <laughs> Doctor Fauci speaks, do you listen? Uh, no, because I, I well first of all, Doctor Fauci has a history. All right, um, mm. Doctor Fauci didn't just spring up last year. Um, there's a book that's come out recently um, by Robert Kennedy Jr., which is very interesting about Doctor Fauci. Mm-hmm. Um, and and his uh, activities in the early AIDS crisis with AZT, he's he's um, he has said so many things in so many different directions over the past twenty four months that it is really hard to listen to anything he says. So as I as I said before, when I want to know what's going on, I mean, half of the stuff you hear is is <clears throat> panic peddling, you know. Or it sounds like panic peddling by the news media. By the news media, the other stuff that you hear is is oh, it's nothing. 
you know. Well, that's not true either. Okay, so when let I let me jump in for just a second because sure. you mentioned something about Andy uh, Anthony. Andy Anthony Fauci. <laughs> I know an Andy Fauci, so that's <laughs> confusing. Uh, Rush, what's your answer to the same question? When you hear Dr. Fauci open his mouth now, what's going through your mind? I think Dr. Fauci is a great doctor. I think what ended up happening is it could be his fault or maybe it's not. But in the peak of the pandemic, people started to like Dr. Fauci and some people started to hate him. He somehow, some way became a polarizing figure. Right now, I think Donald Trump played a big part in that because here he is on the COVID-19 response team. But yet, you know, into the process Donald Trump started to belittle him, say he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then he moved him out of the, the, the main responder or the main person who speaks mm-hmm. in front of the mic. And then, like I said, it become this, became this cult figure. So whether it's his fault or not, uh, he ended up losing credibility as a doctor and kind of started to become a celebrity. So, yes, whether I like him or not, the fact is this. Because things became clouded, his credibility when he speaks, unfortunately, there comes baggage mm-hmm. with it. Uh, Dr. Dr. Francis Collins, former head of the NIH, who's now uh, departed, uh, <clears throat> he said on television uh, last week that we, we maybe should just kind of tone it down a little bit and, you know, we may all end up getting it, but we have to find a way to get on with our lives. We can't let this dominate us. Right. And I'm wondering, uh, that's, that seems easier said than done. Well, you know, okay, Bruce, in... in to, to pick up on that a little bit, um, you know, Francis Collins is a pretty smart guy, yes. okay, and and um, has seen a lot of. Is Fauci's boss, okay, yeah. or was? Um, he's seen a lot of stuff, and the truth is that. So you have this new variant, Omicron, okay, mm-hmm. and and uh, every report. I guess there's one person who allegedly had it in the United Kingdom who passed away. Okay, we don't know anything more than that. But all the accounts of this are that it's pretty mild. Um, I've heard some interesting things about why this is different and why it's mild. One of them is that apparently it attacks the nasal passages and the throat instead of the lungs, so that makes it less mm-hmm. virulent. Severe. Okay. And but but if you were watching MSNBC or CNN or reading the New York Times, I mean they're treating this like smallpox. I mean it's just. But not, I would throw I throw Fox into there as well. Fox too, yeah, absolutely, <clears throat> all of them. I mean they are treating this like it's smallpox. This is crazy. All right. So is it possible that at some point this may evolve? evolution may take us to a virus that comes from COVID that's a really bad virus, worse than anything we've seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everybody who talks about it in an intelligent way will tell you, yeah, that's possible. But this one isn't it. So, So for everybody to be running around with their hair on fire about Omicron, it's not more dangerous, it's more contagious. So people who are sitting in its proximity are apparently going to get it. And we may all eventually get it. And when we do, 
the virus won't have any place else to go, and that'll be the end of it. But that's going to take a long time. Rush, is there anything more that the, the president can say? He gave his speech uh, this past Tuesday. Is there anything more than he can say to get people to vaccinate themselves, to get vaccinated? Because I, I don't oh, know what the we new got a message problem. is. Yeah. yeah. We got a problem, Bruce, and the fact is this. Uh, the president is also doesn't matter who the president is now. Uh, when a president speaks, pretty much 50 percent of the country is going to listen because they lean in the side of whatever the political beliefs are yes. of the president. Right. While the other half is going to discredit the president. Doesn't matter if it's Trump. It doesn't matter if it's Biden. Right. So at this stage, I don't know if Biden can say anything where the person who's convinced in their head. I have Republican friends. There's nothing mm-hmm. Biden's going to say right now where they're going to believe him. Mm-hmm. They think he's a Democrat who doesn't know what he's talking about. They think he's part of the conspiracy. And likewise, on the other side, when if, whoever the next president is, mm-hmm. if it's, let's say, Donald Trump, if they're a Republican, mm-hmm. they will get the same treatment. So right now, there just comes a point where people have a choice. You either go get vaccinated because it does work and the science does support it, or you just stay home. And unfortunately for some folks, they're going to find out the hard way that if, if they are not vaccinated, you don't know what variant is going to get you, whether it's Omicron or the standard COVID uh, strain, whatever that may be. And that's when you will suffer. And I wish people can now at this point make the right decision. You don't have to listen to the president. Just go by the facts. I was at a dinner party last evening, and uh, this observation was made by a, 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 a fairly bright guy. And he made the comment that... In the early days of the vaccine, this is when Trump was president and, and touting all this, that you had uh, you had Joe Biden and you had Kamala Harris and you had others say that they wouldn't take they wouldn't take anything that came from Donald Trump. And I don't know whether I put you in that category, but certainly, you know, a lot of Democrats that may think this. And that 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 was okay. So that's one issue. We're talking about why African Americans don't take it to the level that they should be taking it. So that's strike one, because they're hearing people that they like or admire saying, "I'm not going to take it." Then the next thing is uh, public health all over the United States, including in Chicago, uh, the leaders, many of whom are African American political leaders in trying to deal with a deficiency of medical care in certain areas, including, you know, the, the poor and blacks and minorities, they said, we're going to give you the first shot. You're, you're going to get the first shots out because, because we think there's a deficiency here. But instead of that being perceived as a good thing, that I'm first in line... <laughs> It perpetuates a feeling that many blacks have that this is another government testing. And here these people, they want they want to test me first. Right. And that those combinations, plus you can factor in uh, with uh, with with uh, minorities, uh, certainly uh, Mexicans and uh, Hispanics, is that you feel that you go in and you're going to get a, a test and you're going to end up on some INS list. And, uh, you know, you may get your your jab in the arm, but you may also get a knock on the door from the INS. So all of those things which were meant to be, this is government do-goodism at the absolute best, and that the result 
completely flopped. Now, my question to you, Rush, to you first. What do you think of that assessment that I just shared? Is there, does it make sense to you? Well, I could only go by the experience I have as an Arab American who mm -hmm. uh, works here in the business community yep. and works with, uh, you know, on a grassroots level. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that not one person I ever spoke with, Bruce, felt that when that vaccine came out, um, that if they were first in line, that they would feel that they would be targeted or they're being tested, so mm -hmm. on and so forth. Okay. I got to tell you, I, I think the problem is, and I know that Judy's going to say Russia's again, this is crazy Democrat, but there was a pivotal moment in the Donald Trump presidency when there was discussion of the vaccine, um, when the safety precautions came out about COVID-19, when that information came out with the masks. Bottom line is this. There needed to be a united message. It shouldn't have been about who's a Republican. It shouldn't have been about who the Democrat was. We should have just listened to the doctors. And maybe, maybe it wasn't going to be Fauci. But what ended up happening is you got mixed messages about masks and you got mm -hmm. mixed messages about the vaccine. It became political. Right. And once it became political, well, that's when everyone started to take a side. And you can look at our country right now. Half the country vaccinated, it, the other half not yet. But it became so I don't it, think it became, it's necessarily it, about yeah. race. I think it's about just people mm -hmm. not fully comprehending mm -hmm. how important it is to get vaccinated and they're not believing what they're hearing from certain individuals. Rush, we've got a pause. Judy, we got a pause as well. When we come back, we're going to be heading to Spokane, Washington and welcoming our regular guests on this program making their first appearance live. Don't go away. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. 
It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back. Nice to have you with us this evening on this post-Christmas broadcast, wherever listening from coast to coast. Um, you may recall, if you're a regular listener to this program, we have had some people that, that pop in and ask questions periodically, and they become somewhat regular listeners. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, David, who identifies himself as from Spokane, Washington, he called in, and he's usually a very, very good guest, and I asked him if he'd be willing to be a guest some night on the phone, and uh, he said yes, and no sooner had I done that, but another regular caller, also from Spokane, by the name of Joy, uh, she called in, and she said, well, if you're going to have Dave on, can you have me on, too? And I said, well, that sounds like a good idea, because they are on they appear to be on opposite sides of the political spectrum. So uh, they're going to join us now, between now and the rest of the broadcast. They're going to join in with, with Rush and Judy, who will weigh in with some thoughts and maybe pin them down on some of their opinions. But we now welcome uh, to this Beyond the Beltway microphone, we welcome David Kilmer and Joy Wagner, and they join us from the beautiful city of Spokane, Washington. David and Joy, welcome to Beyond the Beltway. Thank you, Bruce. Thank Joy, you. Okay, I'm going to begin with David because uh, he was the first one invited. <laughs> David, what what we've been talking about COVID here uh, in the last couple of minutes. When you hear a message about COVID, how do you go about whether do you believe it or not, or does it? Who does it have to come from before you will believe it? Uh, it has to come from the data, Bruce. <laughs> I've been looking at the data mm -hmm. since February, March of 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when I think I told you before that I wrote every person in my state, from my city council to the governor, mm -hmm. uh, about where I saw them doing uh, a bad approach to correcting COVID because they were trying to do these targeted ice, or, or they were doing broad spectrum isolations of everyone. Instead of saying at risk groups, you should stay at home and self isolate, it was everybody stay home unless you're a quote unquote, you know, someone who's uh, like a healthcare worker like my wife. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I was trying to explain to these people that it is a, this COVID is a very targeted disease. It goes after specific groups of elderly people or if you're younger with comorbidities. So it's a, it, the data has to change for my opinion to change. And I, I kind of get sick. I hear people talk about the experts. Oh, we're not listening to enough experts. And if you don't understand yet, you should talk to your doctor uh, as if we're wrong-minded for thinking like myself the way I do. 
when in fact I listen to plenty of experts. I listen to people like Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford, Martin Kolder from Harvard, Harvey Reich from Yale, and Martin McCary from John Hopkins. All kinds of experts, many epidemiologists, some epidemiologists are professors of epidemiology. They teach epidemiology to potential epidemiologists, you mm-hmm. know, for future generations. And I listen to those kind of people, but I did all the data myself, went to the okay. CDC website. I've, I've looked at the data, and I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable okay. not being vaccinated. Okay, Joy, let me go back to you. Um, answer to this, the same question. When, when you hear a story about COVID, how do you determine whether or not uh, you're going to follow the advice given? Well, I think um, because it's so transmiss, um, trans- it can be transmitted so easily mm-hmm. that I, for me, that gave it a different. Um, I had a different perspective on it than I might with other, like uh, perhaps the flu or other diseases, mm-hmm. and so. Um, I'm 65. Um, I'm in good health, but I felt like, you know, I was in a category that I had to be careful. Um, but then I also had a brother who unfortunately passed away about six months ago from lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I had my brother who was um, very much at risk. I have spent a lot of time and I helped um, with taking care of my niece's two young children who just got their first vaccination, Mm -hmm. um, but up until recently they could not. And so um, I was also looking at those around me and what was the way that I could be the safest for myself, but also provide the greatest safety and protection to others. And so um, once the vaccination was available, then I wanted to get it. And I also volunteered at some of the mass sites that they had here in Spokane mm-hmm. as a non-medical volunteer to help people get vaccinated. Okay, so and, in, in, your, in your particular case, you have been vaccinated now, correct? And then I had the booster as well. And you've well. got the booster. And Dave, you identified that you have not been vaccinated at all? Not at all. And you're not going to be? No, nor is my wife, who's been a nurse for 30 okay. years and works at Sacred Heart. Here is my, here's my question. How do you feel about neighbors who are vaccinated? Perfectly fine. We okay. encourage all of our friends and family who are in at-risk groups to get vaccinated. Joy, what about you? How do you feel about friends and neighbors uh, that are not vaccinated? Um, you know, it, I, and I don't know who, with all my neighbors, but I know I recently went in and I was having a facial. I had assumed that the person who was giving me the facial was vaccinated. It turned out that she was not. Uh-huh. And that did make me feel uncomfortable. You're in a small room. You know, I'm not wearing a mask. And, um, and she had said that she had had COVID in the past. But uh, that, I think, was a year ago. So I'm not sure kind of what... Um, how immunized she is from it Mm -hmm. but you know i'm very involved for example in my church and i know that like many of the um, churches around there's an older population and it's really very interesting there's people on all spec you know on the political spectrum from very conservative to more liberal and Mm -hmm. they are adamant about having people be vaccinated Mm -hmm. and i think again um they want to stay safe themselves and because it can be transmitted and uh, you know if you're healthy you may not have any symptoms and so Mm -hmm. 
I think they look at it as at times it can be um, it depends on, I think, also why people are not being vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things I think not that it started with Trump, but, but that's one of the things that I'm particularly concerned about in kind of our world and particularly in our United States now is there seems to be such an emphasis on um, individual freedom. And it's like we can everyone can do what they want to do. And that is important. But I think we all live in communities. Okay, and, David. Well, I want to get um, David's response to that. What What about uh, that assessment by Joy about uh, freedom, David? Uh, how do you react to that? Well, that's one of my main uh, tenets of the whole thing. Uh, I take freedom at the the highest level. Now, I and I am all for safety as well. Like I've told you, as some people before, uh, in the Marine Corps, besides being a pilot, I was the director of safety and standardization. I went to the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey for safety training, operational risk management. It's all about assessing mm-hmm. and analyzing risk. So I look at everything from a risk analysis. And that's why, like I said, uh, for over a year and a half, I've been analyzing all the data, listening to all the experts on both sides. And I, I am perfectly fine with people feeling concerned about themselves. But one of the main reasons that people are so concerned, like Joy's, uh, you know, people at the church, a lot of these people are concerned because of what they see on TV. If you recall back in 2020, you couldn't turn on the TV without seeing the death counter in the top right-hand corner of your TV. Mm-hmm. And now, mysteriously, heading into 2021 in the winter, which is starting to COVID, going to uptick again, well, we don't see those death counters anymore. And I believe that's political, personally. But, you know, my, my wife also, she at the hospital just a couple weeks ago, they had an incident where it wasn't a patient she was taking care of, but there was a perfectly healthy 30-year-old patient at the hospital who other nurses that she is you know, familiar with, that she works with, were taken care of. And that patient was so morbidly afraid of COVID. She's 30 or, you know, a 30-year-old patient, so morbidly afraid, was wearing two masks. And then when, when given a, a private room, so you go from two patients to one patient in a room, she still wanted to wear one mask because she was afraid if she got COVID, mm-hmm. she would die. She's 30 years old, perfectly healthy. Mm-hmm. Her chances of dying are, or, or living, I should say, 99.99%. Okay. She has... I want to go back. I want to go back, to go back, back to, to Joy because I mentioned that the, the two of you frequently call in this program on the same night. And Joy, let me ask you, what is it about Dave, either what he says or the way he says it, that tends to prompt you to call the show? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's him in particular. I mean, of course, I say, oh, Spokane. Yeah. And I think Spokane is becoming um, more of a purple city. Yes. And so I just, um, it was during the Trump era that I started listening to um, the um, conservative radio shows. Uh-huh. And, and um, because I spent 25 years in the Bay Area, I grew up in a very democratic family. And, and there's something about Trump that I don't equate with being Republican, or I didn't at the time. I just felt mm-hmm. that he was a very dangerous person, and I didn't understand how people were supporting him. Um, and so, um, and again, I'll be very honest, I came from a, you know, a pretty narrow mindset um, coming from the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That's why I started listening. And so I'm just I'm trying to better understand um, why people have um, different positions that they do. Um, the, so, David, do you, David, do you know? Go oh. ahead. Finish, finish your I point, Joy. Say, 
just with the vaccination, I'm very concerned. You know, I think the number of anti-vaxxers were relatively small. And one of the things is, will we have just more and more um, parents not vaccinating their infants and not vaccinate, you know, so we'll have, I, and that worries me um, when it's more of a political decision for not being vaccinated, mm-hmm. that they'll then be this, personal choice of 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 not vaccinating mm-hmm. children and will be there'll be the reemergence of a lot of diseases one week one week dave dave we're going to have to pause we've got a okay. break coming up you know about the breaks when yep. we come back we're going to go to you to respond and then rush darwish and judy sherwin around the microphones here at wind in chicago want to respond to what you've said thus far i'm bruce dumont we're talking to dave kilmer and joy wagner Just your average listener to Beyond the Beltway, dueling tonight from the beautiful city of Spokane, Washington. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. 
probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, before we go too much further, because uh, we're coming up uh, to our end of our broadcast soon, and uh, I want to thank uh, Frankie Rodriguez, who's been our producer for the last several months. Frankie is moving on to bigger and better things with his career, so this is his last broadcast, you know, riding the riding the dials on this program. So again, uh, Frankie, thank you very much for your assistance and have a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you and your family and good luck in your new career, which is out of radio, which I'm sure will bring a lot more stability to your household than to sticking around and doing radio every Sunday night. Uh, I want Rush Darwish is here. Judy Sherwin is here. They have listened patiently to David and Joy. I want to go to uh, Judy uh, for a quick uh, response to anything that you've heard David or Joy have to say, and I'm going to then uh, bring uh, Rush into this conversation as well. Judy? So there, there are a couple of, of phrases that I hear in connection with COVID that send me right up the wall. One of them is follow the science, because there ain't no such thing as the science. Yeah. Science is a process whereby we mm-hmm. learn various things about the world around us. So there is no the science, as far as I've ever learned. The other thing is that I, I understand and I, I respect the fact that that uh, gentleman says he has reviewed the data. Data is an interesting concept. Data could mean a lot of things. I can look at the same data that he's looking at and come to an entirely different conclusion because I have a different framework in mind when I look at the data. So looking at the data is not necessarily a valid response to what you decide you want to do about All right, let's let David respond. David? Uh, From a statistical viewpoint, that would be correct, because statistics, uh, there's lies, damn lies, and statistics, depending on what you do with data. The data I'm talking about is is cut and dry. Like, what I've done this whole last year and a half, I went to the CDC website, I looked at exact deaths, cases, I went to the Census Bureau to find out population per, per age group. I just did pure math of... Cases, deaths, look at what the death rate is. The only adjustment I made to any of those in the early going was you had to make an adjustment, if you were going to be logical about things, to account for the people who were not getting tested who did, in fact, get COVID. Because in the early going, everybody knows there wasn't enough tests out there. And if you look, you can find plenty of experts, quote-unquote, that will even confirm. You have to multiply the, con- the confirmed cases by anywhere from four to eight. You can find numbers out there to get more of an accurate representation. So I got the accurate representation of what the cases were, and I come up with death rate. That's the only data I'm talking about. I'm, just, I'm narrowing it straight down to what is your chance of dying from COVID. Okay. okay. And I, I want to go to Rush because he's been standing by silent for a couple of minutes now. Rush, uh, you want to weigh well, in on what, I, what I, first David of all, and Joy have to say? Uh, what I love about David is he's, he's one of a kind, and mm. I appreciate that. I really do. I appreciate the fact you have a guy that's saying, hey, I'm looking at the data. Bottom line is I'm, I'm probably younger, I'm healthy, and, and you know, basically at risk. If, if you're old, you got a better chance to die. Well, guess what? I literally, as, as you were talking, David, yeah, I was checking my social media feed, and a 32-year-old nurse just passed away of COVID-19. Matter of fact, the state senator in your state, Doug Erickson, 52 years old, a big-time Republican, anti-vaxxer, anti 
uh, restrictions, so on and so forth, died, COVID-19. And the biggest mistake we will make in this country is for anyone to think that there is a data that suggests that these folks are going to die or have a higher chance of dying while this side here has a less chance. And yes, we get it when you say from a generic standpoint, that is true. But there's one thing that you're missing, David, that's really a shock to me. If you're really about the data, then the very least I would expect from you from say, all right, you got this vaccine. Why not take it? Because your chances of getting COVID-19 and the chances of, God forbid, you getting it and getting sick from it is much lower. So that's why I'm like, wow, I'm actually shocked that you're doing the data, going on the websites, seeing what the scientists are saying. But the conclusion is for you. "Eh, You know what? I, I don't really need to do it. Okay, David, 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 David's responding, and then a final word to Joy. David, go oh, ahead. Where, where to start? Uh, well, the, the answer is quite simply, the data is the data. And for every person you find who is under 60 and a perfectly healthy person, because anybody under 60 who dies doesn't mean that, oh, that screws up the whole data. You have to look at what were their comorbidities. But when you narrow it down to anyone who has died, who is under 60 with no comorbidities, for every one of those people, there's at least another person you'll find. Look it up on the internet. You'll find all kinds of people in their 90s. There's a few hundred-year-old sisters who had COVID and recovered. For everything you would expect but you don't to know what everyone has, risk. David. You don't know what COVID will attack. We don't have enough data that says it. You don't we know. Have the, God forbid if you get it. You don't know if you have an underlying we have the data. that COVID no, goes the directly truth is, Joy Wagner, Joy Wagner I, want, I want Joy to weigh in. Joy, your final word on this. Well, what I find really interesting is that Trump was the one who put together the whole um, process to quickly get out of a vaccine. And so this switch where he was the one who, you know, was citing that over and over again as one of the big accomplishments of what he achieved why there was the switch then that um, mostly on the right will be people who will not take that vaccine. It seems like that was something to support Trump that people would line up very quickly to do. Um, and, And I just, again, my, I guess because we live so close together, unless you're up in the mountains in Vermont, I think you have to look beyond what is best only for you and not that if the vaccine can somehow harm you um, you have something immunities or something that you don't want to take it but otherwise if it if you don't think the vaccine is a danger they're just to me there's so many reasons to protect people out there the more we're vaccinated, the more everything's going to open up much quicker. The economy will get back to running much quicker. I just, I don't see why. Joy Wagner, Joy Wagner and, and David Kilmer, we are out of time for this segment. I thank you very much. Uh, two regular listeners to this program. You have about a 10-second response, Judith. You only got 10 seconds. Uh, uh, thanks. The the assumption that, that Joy is making is that taking the vaccine is going to get us all back to normal quickly. That's not happening, and that's part of the reason that you still have this hesitancy. And somebody needs to be square with the American people about exactly what the vaccine is and what it can do for them. Okay, Judith Sherwin, thank you very much. Rush Darwish, thank you very much for being with us. It's been good getting to know you this year. We're going to have you on a lot more in 2022. I'm Bruce Dumont. 
Good night from Elk Grove Village. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor, check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.